Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he came into this world and he taught and did many great things. Lord, we thank you also for the gospel writers. We thank you that they have preserved accurate accounts of what he did so that we can be encouraged today. Lord, we pray that we may feast upon your word this morning and may our hearts be encouraged and may we turn to Jesus Christ all the more as a result of coming together around your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what tires you out? What makes you tired? Is it when you do some form of exercise? Now, for me, if it's exercise, generally these days, it might be a run around the bay with my son while he rides his bike next to me. And uh, it's a 7K run. I used to do it from my house down and around and come back up, but that turns it into 8Ks. Uh, and so I decided uh, it's better just to drive down that one kilometre and then do the 7K run around the bay. It's uh, a flatter surface then as well. Uh, but that really tires me out. Also, a solid week's work. Uh, that's a tiring thing. If you've put in a solid week's work, uh, you can feel quite tired at the end of it. And it may be something else that particularly tires you out. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, the subject of tiredness, and particularly Jesus as he is reported to be tired in the passage that we're looking at. We'll be looking at John chapter 4 and concentrating on verses 4 through to verse 6. So 4, 5, and 6, which is found on page 1052 of the Black Church Bible, so I encourage you to have it open as we look at John chapter 4, verses 4 through to verse 6. And so we're looking at the fact that Jesus is tired, and we see that there in verse 6. It says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And so Jesus is reported here in John chapter 4 as being tired. And we're going to look at the significance of that. And firstly, we're going to look at how tired was he? Was he just a little bit tired? Like if you've sort of woken up in the morning and you've done a couple of things around the house and then you feel like you've got to have a little sit down. Was he just a little bit tired? Or was he very tired? I think if we examine this text closely, we can draw the conclusion that Jesus was very tired at this point in time. And so that's what we're going to be looking at firstly, uh, clues that are given in the text that point us in the direction that Jesus is very tired. And what is the first reason that we know that Jesus is very tired at this point in the passage? Well, that brings me to my first main point this morning. Jesus must have been very tired because he walked a long way. If you want to follow my main points, they're listed there on the back of the church bulletin. And the first is, Jesus must have been very tired because he had walked a long way. How far had Jesus walked in, according to this passage? Well, Jesus was on a bit of a, a hike from Judea in the south of Israel to Galilee in the north of Israel. And we see that back there in verse 3. Verse 3 of John chapter 4, it says, When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So it was going from the south, Jerusalem, the capital, back up, which is in Judea. So Judea is like a, a state, a nation, um, not the nation as a whole, but a region, just like we're in the uh, state of New South Wales. So Judea has many towns in it, including Jerusalem. And, uh, and so Judea is that area. And he's going back to another region, which is Galilee. And it's a good three-day walk if you want to go straight from Judea up to Galilee. It's quite the hike. Um, and he decides that he is going to go on the route 
through Samaria. There is a longer way that you could go around, but you can go through Samaria. And we see that in verse 4. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. And so if he goes from Judea through Samaria to Galilee, it's basically like going from here. I looked it up on Google Maps, going from here to Newcastle. So imagine walking from Des Moines up to Newcastle. And so it take you a good three days to do that, uh, walking long hours on those days. And so he decides to go through Samaria. Now, where is Samaria? Well, Samaria is in the middle of Israel. And so uh, it's like another state. So you've got um, Judea at the bottom, then you've got Samaria in the middle, and then you've got Galilee at the top. And why does he say he had to go through Samaria? Well, it's because not all the Jews actually went through Samaria when they went to Galilee. They'd actually go around Samaria and make it a longer journey they go by a different way to get to Galilee. Now, why would they do that? Well, because Samaria wasn't actually part of Israel. It wasn't where the Jews lived. It was where the Samaritans lived. Who are the Samaritans? Well, they are people that came to the land of Israel after the Israelites were conquered back in uh, 722 BC by the Assyrians. And so the Assyrians brought a whole bunch of people to live in the land of Israel and they stayed there and they worshipped their own gods, but they also took on some of the, uh, they took on worshipping the God of Israel as well. And so they believed some things that the Jews believed, and particularly they were known to accept the first five books of the Bible, which of course are what we know as the Pentateuch, um, which are the law given to us by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They accepted those, but they rejected the rest of the Old Testament scriptures. And so they were not Jews. They might look like Jews at points and they might say that they worship the God of Israel, but they weren't worshiping God as he had uh, proclaimed himself to be worshiped. And they were actually quite hostile to the Jews. There was a lot of antagonism between the two races. And so the Jews would actually fight against them at different points in history and the Samaritans would fight against them. They would cause problems for one another. And so many Jews did not like the idea of going through Samaria. It's like going through another country and going through your enemy's country. And so they go all the way around to get to Galilee. But Jesus decides that he's going through Samaria. And he, gets, uh, he, he takes this journey, undertakes this journey, and we pick up the story here in John chapter 4 when he's partway through this journey. And that's there in verse 5. It says, after it says in verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria, it says, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the pot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So Jesus starts out from Judea and makes it to Sitka, and then we have this account that is given to us in John chapter 4. Now how far had Jesus walked to be very tired here in verse 6 of John chapter 4? Well, if he's made it to Sitka, that is uh, basically 65 kilometers from Jerusalem, if we are accurate in our understanding of where Sitka is today. And we're pretty sure that we know where it is. So how far is that? Well, that's a good day and a half of walking at a steady pace. Human body, usually humans can usually walk at about five kilometers an hour if they're setting out quite nicely. And so you're looking at about 13 hours walking, continuous walking if you were to get there. So he's probably walked for a day and then had a rest, had a sleep, and then he's walked for another part of a day and he gets to this point at Sitka, which means uh, Jesus would have walked from, if we were to say, Des Moines to, uh, to Newcastle is like going from Judea to Galilee. He's reached Gosford, basically. 
um, there would be a comparison to it. So he's walked from here to Gosford on his way to walking to Newcastle, which is a bit of a hike. You'd be pretty tired. It's not like he's gone for a walk around the bay like I do. He's gone for an extensive walk. And so it's not surprising that we read in verse 6 that Jesus is tired as he was from the journey and then sits down. So we see here that Jesus has to be very tired. What's another clue that Jesus is not just a little bit tired, he's very tired? Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. Jesus must have been very tired because he sat down at a well. Jesus must have been very tired because he sat down at a well. When you're really tired, you want to sit down. Um, I'm, I see some of these people, I do not do this, but some people when they go for a run around the bay and they, they're walking back and they're, they're working their way back up the, the main street, uh, Victoria Road there, and they get to traffic lights and, uh, and they press the button and they're there and they're jogging on the spot or they lean up against the traffic light and are doing some stretches and start doing some lunges while they're there waiting for the traffic light to change green. They're not tired. If you ever see me holding on to traffic lights and it looks like I'm doing stretches, I'm not, I'm just holding myself up. I'm having a rest at the traffic light's expense. Jesus, we see here, when he gets to this town in Sitka, he doesn't say, okay, I'm taking a break and we know his disciples off to get some food and while he's there, he's doing some lunges, he's doing some stretches, he's not doing that. What's he doing? It says that he sits down. Verse 6, it says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. He takes a seat. And it's at a fairly historic well that he is sitting down there. It's uh, said to be Jacob's well in verse 6 there. We see uh, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. What is Jacob's well? Well, there's actually no reference to Jacob's well in the rest of Scripture. This is the only reference to it. Uh, but we believe that this well is indeed part of the area that Jacob uh, purchased and then gave to his son Joseph. And we have references to that in the Old Testament. So Genesis records in Genesis chapter 33, Jacob buying a property in this part of Israel. It says, after Jacob came from Padan Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. And Shechem is the area where uh, Samaria is in the New Testament. And then it says in verse 19 of Genesis 33, for a hundred pieces of silver, he, that's Jacob, bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. So we have in the Old Testament record of Jacob buying a plot of ground in this area from Shechem. And then we have also in Joshua chapter 24 reference to uh, Joseph inheriting this area and the tribe of Joseph and then also that Joseph's bones were buried there. As it says there in, uh, in, in John chapter 4 that this was given to his son Joseph in verse 5 there. We have reference to that in jo Joshua chapter 24, that passage that we just read. It says in Joshua 24 verse 32, And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem. Remember that area that's uh, in Samaria today, um, Samaria in Jesus' day. In the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. So the Old Testament records that there's this area that Jacob has purchased and evidently Jacob must have dug a well there. 
And, uh, and that well survived to the day of Jesus, and apparently it's still there today. There's a church over it, and you can go on the internet, see some photos of it, and you can see Jacob's well, and apparently it still gives out water. Um, you can still get water from it. There's a bucket, and uh, not that I think any member of the public is allowed to just drop a bucket in because uh, it's such a historic place, uh, but it still has water flowing through it. And so that is where Jesus decides to sit down. And the fact that he sits at this nonetheless historic place demonstrates that Jesus must be very tired. Any other clues that indicate that Jesus is pretty exhausted at this point? He's walked a long way. The Bible tells us he's tired, tells us he sat down. Any other clues that are given in the text that indicate Jesus is very tired? Well, that brings me to my third main point. Jesus must have been very tired because it was about the sixth hour. And we see that there in verse 6 that it tells us this. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So what part of the day is that? Does that mean it's 6 a.m. or 6 p.m.? Well, the Jewish day actually starts at 6 a.m. And so one, the first hour would, of course, be 7 a.m. And you go through, and so what is the sixth hour? The sixth hour is midday, 12 p.m. And what is the hottest part of the day? Well, it's around 12 o'clock, middle of the day. And when you consider that this is the Middle East, uh, country that gets pretty hot, uh, that this would have been the hottest part of the day. It's interesting that it is mentioned there. Um, we'll look at further reasons in subsequent weeks as to why the sixth hour is important uh, to note here, but it would have been the hottest part of the day. And so it's not surprising that Jesus is tired. He's walked a long way, he's decided to sit down, and we know that it's the middle of the day. And for me, that often is when I'm most tired. That's when I'm inclined, particularly if you have a bit of a meal, you're most inclined to have a bit of a nap, have a siesta in the afternoon. I wonder whether Australia could ever adopt such a custom as there is in other cultures, uh, having a siesta, have a little nap, and then you can, of course, stay up later in the night because you've had that little rest in the middle of the day. Wouldn't it be lovely if all the shops, all businesses closed for a couple of hours in the middle of the day and you can have a little rest? Because, let's face it, that's how we often feel in the middle of the day. And here, Jesus is also said to be taking a rest in the hottest part of the day, in the middle of the day, when you'd be most tired. So, is Jesus tired here? Yes, the Bible, of course, tells us. Is he very tired? I would say so. He's pretty exhausted after what he's been doing in walking and taking the seat there and the fact that it's the middle of the day. But you may be saying, well, why are you making such a point about this? The Bible just throws that in there. It's just an extra detail. It's just to draw out and make the story a little bit more enjoyable, isn't it? It's just part of the stylistic way of writing this account that, you know, it just makes it a little bit more interesting. Is there a point to the fact that Jesus is tired? Can we make some sort of application to us today even from this? Is there, or should I just be skipping over this and not wasting your time on a Sunday morning focusing in on Jesus' tiredness? Well, that brings me to my fourth main point this morning. Jesus must have been very tired because he was fully human. From the beginning of the gospel, John's gospel, we understand that Jesus is God. One of the main purposes of John's gospel is to present the truth that Jesus is God. If you just go back to John chapter 1, just flip with me a couple pages earlier. John chapter 1, how does John open his gospel in comparison to the other gospels? 
maybe this afternoon. Go and look at how does Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John open their Gospels. How does John open his? He says, in the beginning was the Word, which is a reference to Christ. Jesus is called the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Got an explicit statement there in verse 1, that the word was God. You also have that description about Jesus Christ in verse 3, that says, through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. Which means that Jesus can't have been made, because you can't make yourself. Nothing has, and, and if he's a, he, he can't, uh, if without him nothing was made that has been made you can't make yourself just doesn't it just defies logic law of non-contradiction you can't make yourself and so Jesus must be God he is said to be God and then also it explicitly says that all things were made through him which means he must be God as well because he's a creator he's the creator and then also, uh, in John's Gospel, we have other statements from John saying that Jesus is God. John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus makes this explicit statement that I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. And then in John chapter 8, verse 58, uh, Jesus makes this amazing statement. He says, I tell you the truth, he's talking to the Pharisees. Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Sounds a bit of a funny thing to say. Why do you say I am? Before Abraham was born, I am. That's not how you would say it. If you want to say, I was before Abraham, you say, I was before Abraham was born. But he says, I am. Why does he say, I am? Because he knows that the name for God, that God revealed his name in the Old Testament to Moses at the burning bush is, I am. And so Jesus is saying, before Abraham was born, I am. I'm God. I'm using the name. And not surprisingly, the, the religious leaders get very angry at the fact that he is saying that. And so in verse 59 it says, at this they picked up stones to stone him. Why do they want to stone him? Because they know he's claiming to be God. So all through John's gospel, we see many references to this truth that Jesus is God. But then we have to wonder, if Jesus is God, is he human? Is he human? And the answer is, of course, yes. Despite the fact that many people in history have held this belief that Jesus is God, but he's not human. There was an early church heresy that began this uh, called docetism, which means that Jesus appears to be human. He is not fully human. He just appears to be human. And that was part of a, a group uh, known as the Gnostics, a Gnostic heresy, uh, because the Gnostics believe that matter is evil. And so, of course, if God dwells on earth, he cannot take on flesh because flesh is matter and matter is evil. And so, of course, Jesus could not be fully human as we are fully human. The soul is okay, matter is bad, so the body is bad. And so they had this false understanding about the human body and they then took their false understanding and applied it to Jesus Christ and denied his humanity. But the Bible clearly teaches Jesus' humanity. One of the ways it teaches this is the way that you see in the New Testament with the Gospels that everybody treats Jesus as a human being. No one seems to deny 
that Jesus is human in the Gospels. They all treat him like he's a real person, particularly his enemies. They call him a mere man. They don't, they don't, they don't interact with him as though he's anything more than human. And that's what they're trying to minimise. They, they hate the fact that this person, who they clearly understand to be a person, is claiming to be God. And then also in the Gospels, we see on a number of occasions, things are mentioned about Jesus Christ which are peculiar to humans, to the human body. The way Jesus behaves demonstrates that he is human. What's an example of this? Well, in John chapter 19, verse 28 and 30, while Jesus is there on the cross, we read, later knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Does God get thirsty? Does God drink liquid? No. It's a human thing to get thirsty. It's a human thing to drink. God does not need to sustain himself with food and drink. Yet here we see Jesus, who is God, drinking and getting thirsty, which means he must be God. It must be God, but also human. He must be human. Also, another way that we see uh, that Jesus is human is in John 11, verse 35, it says that Jesus wept. He cried. A human thing to do, to have water come out of your eyes. A human thing. And then in Matthew 4, verse 2, we read that Jesus, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Still remember doing Bible study with someone once, and they said, you know, why is that in there? I mean, obviously, after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You know, why would you put that in? Of course he's hungry. You just need to say, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, uh, and then go on to the temptations of Christ. No, it's put there to help us understand that Jesus is God, and he's not somehow sustaining himself as God. He is fully human. He is still hungry after 40 days and 40 nights. That he's fully human. He has known what it is to be without food for 40 days and 40 nights in the same way that if you were to go without, 40 days, uh, without food for 40 days and 40 nights, you would be hungry. Jesus is fully human. And Jesus also does something that we recognize humans need to do as well. In Matthew 8, verse 24, during the storm... In, uh, with the boat, they're out at sea, the disciples and Jesus, they're out on the sea and there's a storm comes and what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. Does God sleep? No. But Jesus sleeps. What does that then mean? Jesus is human. Jesus is human. And so this passage in, verse, in John chapter 4 tells us just one more detail about the humanity of Jesus, that after a long journey, Jesus isn't going, I'm, I'll keep on going. Disciples, I'll meet you in Galilee. You know, he just keeps going. He can sustain himself, you know, go, 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 go. No, he's tired, which means Jesus is fully human. Now, why is that important to point out? Yes, Jesus is tired, and yes, okay, I can understand that that means that Jesus is human. Why is it important to understand that Jesus is human? Well, it means that Jesus Christ is a human sacrifice for us. If Jesus is not human, then he cannot pay for our sins. 
just as animals can't pay for our sins because they're insufficient. We need, if we are humans, we need another human to be the substitute for us. Otherwise, it's not a, a good substitute. It's not an effective substitute. It's something else. And so, if Jesus is not human, he's not an effective substitute for our sins. But if he is human, then he can be a substitute for us. A human then dies in our place and is able to take the, uh, the punishment for sin that we deserve off us and bear it in our place. And that's what Jesus does. He comes into this world, takes on real flesh, lives a real human life where he gets thirsty, where he gets hungry, where he gets tired, where he sleeps. He has a real human life and then bears our sins at the cross as a fully human substitute, which then means that we can repent of our sins and trust in Jesus Christ and be saved. Jesus is an effective substitute for us. And if we trust that Jesus Christ died for us, Jesus Christ has revealed in the scriptures that he is fully human and fully God, then we are saved. And this is a marvelous truth for us to understand. And so if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, come to understand who Jesus is, that he's fully human, fully God, and then turn from your sin and accept the precious gift of eternal life through Jesus, that your sins are paid for by Jesus Christ at the cross. But what else can we take away as an application from this this morning, that Jesus Christ is fully human and gets tired? Well, if Christ is human, it means Jesus understands what it is like to be tired, and then we can take some comfort in that and some encouragement as we seek to serve God. Hebrews 4.15 speaks about the humanity of Jesus and makes application to us. He says, uh, the author of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. He is able to sympathize with us because he has experienced what it is like to be human with all its problems. He's experienced that. And so then he can sympathize with us when we are going through rough patches and when our weaknesses are being displayed in our lives, the weaknesses of the human body. It's interesting here. Jesus was very tired. I've never gone on a walk like Jesus has. Jesus was very tired, and yet he still had time to talk to someone about God. This woman walks up, as we'll see in subsequent weeks, this woman walks up and he is willing to have a chat with her. He's not like, oh, I'm, I'm not just going to sit down, I'm going to have a nap here at the well. You know, I'm really tired and I've got no time for anyone at this point in time. No, he's still got time to work a little even after he's so fatigued. And so Jesus understands what it's like when you have worked a full day's work and you come home and you really don't want to talk to your family, you don't want to talk to your wife, you don't want to talk to the kids, you don't want to talk to anyone. Jesus knows what that feels like. But then Jesus was willing to continue talking to others and having involvement in people's lives. And so we should follow his example. We can't say, oh, Jesus doesn't know what it's like to have done a full day's work. He doesn't know how hot it was out there today. No, he knew that, what it was like to be out in the hot sun walking. He knows what it's like. And yet he was still willing 
to do what the Lord wanted him to do. He was still willing to talk to someone, to encourage someone, to do what he was called to do by God. And we should be like him. Also, if Jesus was fully human, he understands what it's like to be tired, but not fall into sin. We sometimes might have this perception of Jesus that, you know, oh, he, he just doesn't understand what it's like to be really tired, to be exhausted, and then it's okay then for me to lash out at others. It's okay for me to fall into sin. It's okay for me to indulge in this particular sin that I love so much because I'm just really tired. I've worked so hard today. I can engage in this. Jesus doesn't really know what it was like to be really tired, and so I can indulge in this way. No, Jesus knew what it was like to be very tired, and yet he never sinned. He probably knew what it was like to be tired in a way that none of us have experienced in this room. Imagine the fasting of 40 days and 40 nights and how tired you'd be after that as well. Let alone long journeys and getting up in the middle of the night and praying. He knew what it was like to be tired. And that's why he's sleeping in the boat, I think, in the, in the storm. Major storm going on and he's not waking up. Why? Because he's exhausted. He's been teaching people non-stop, doing all these great miracles, and he's just exhausted. Jesus knows what it's like to be tired and be tempted to sin but then not fulfill that temptation, to not go after it. And so when we sit down we think, oh, it's okay for me to be mean to those around me, to be unloving or to engage in some particular sin because I'm tired and Jesus doesn't know what that's like. No, Jesus knows what it's like. And so our tiredness is not an excuse for sin. We're still called to do what God would have us do. There's never a time when we can excuse sin in our lives. So do you affirm that Jesus got tired? That Jesus was fully human? Or are you like the Gnostics from the early church, around the time of the early church, that denied Jesus' humanity? Do you affirm that Jesus died a fully human death for you? That he is that human sacrifice that you need for your sins? Do you trust that Jesus died in your place? Do you strive to be like Jesus and continue working even when you're tired? Particularly working with your family, which is often the, the second job that we don't really see as a second job. Come home and we think we can put our feet up and everybody has to serve us. Do you see yourself as being like Jesus? Do you strive to be like him and continue working even when you're tired? Do you strive to be like Jesus and not sin even when you're tired? Or do you sometimes let your fatigue and your exhaustion and the good work that you've done through the day become an excuse to allow you to engage in sin later in the day? Let us come before our God in prayer. Let us speak with him. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for what your word reveals about your son. We thank you that it reveals his divinity, but also his humanity. And Lord, we thank you that that is a marvellous comfort to us because it means that he is indeed the perfect human sacrifice for us and that he has indeed paid for our sins, that there's nothing owing. He was not an imperfect human who wasn't effective in paying for our sins, but he was that perfect human. He was fully human. And so we are free from the punishment for sin if we simply trust in him. So, Lord, we pray that Jesus' humanity may be a dear truth that we cling to, but Lord, we pray that it also may be an encouragement to us that Jesus knows how it feels to be human. He knows about our weaknesses. He knows what it's like to be tired. 
So Lord, we pray that we may continue to exercise strength in our lives to do your will, even as we're tired. Lord, may we follow Jesus Christ's example, trying to be like him, even with the weaknesses of our human body. May we be like him and always do your glory. And Lord, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.